0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. He's given us another day, another beautiful day in his house. Thanks be to God. We have another beautiful day. We're alive, and life is a gift. And so what, we, what, what should we do with our lives? If we're Christians, we should be honoring the Lord God with our lives and spending time with him and worshiping him and honoring him and living for him and giving him all we got. You know, when uh, I played football, they used to say, Leave 110% out on the field. As Christians, do we think about that with God? Do we really leave 110% out there in, in this world for God? It's just something to think about, something the Lord just laid on my heart. Anyway, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I, uh, let's ask the Lord to help us understand the sermon today and help us to. to uh, that the message would impact us today. That we wouldn't just listen to another message. And just go on about our lives. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to not only understand the, the message, but that the message would impact us throughout the rest of our lives as we live our lives. I know this one has definitely impacted my life as, I've, as I wrote it and as the Lord put it on my heart and the things that I went through this week and last week. And so join me in a word of prayer. And let's get to going. Let's get to hearing what God has to say to us today. Lord, thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord, as we're going to be talking about your love today, the title of the sermon is even in there. And I pray, Lord God, that you would, again, as I just said, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this message today, help us to understand your word today clearly. Lord, and I pray that not only would we understand it, Lord, but I pray that we would do it. Lord, that it would impact our lives, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would move in each one of our lives. Lord God, not only today, but tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, Lord, from what is said here today, from what your word says. And I pray, Lord God, that we would do what your word says and let your Holy Spirit move through us and work through us like he wants to. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you and keep our distractions, keep the distractions out, Lord, keep all the distractions out of here and help us, Lord God, help us, help us, help us to grow closer to you. We ask these things and we pray them all, Lord God, in Jesus Christ's mighty name, Amen. You can open your Bibles to First John chapter four, verses seven through eleven. That's where we'll be today. Once I start teaching again, that's First John chapter four, verses seven through eleven. But first, I'm going to get through my thoughts from last week's message. Do you understand God's word? Last week's message focused mostly on what John said in. 1 John 4, verse 6. He who knows God hears us. And the way you can understand that very easily in Scripture, throughout throughout all the Scriptures I talked about last week, he who knows God understands the spiritual teachings of spiritual teachers and understands God's Word in general, as, as a whole. And he who is not of God does not hear us or does not understand the spiritual teachings of God as well as other, you know, parts of God's word as well. And I talked to you about how the literal translation of only this verse leads us to the conclusion that no one that's lost can understand the spiritual things of God. And since everyone is born lost, all are doomed to hell, which again means that nobody can be saved. And that would be the natural conclusion of that section of just that verse. And of course, it's dangerous, as I taught you before, it's dangerous just to make a doctrine or a whole teaching off of God's word off of just one verse. So I didn't do that. I went to the rest of God's word to see that that idea that I mentioned is not true. Yes, everybody's born lost, but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to hell. If you didn't listen to that message, do you understand God's word? I would encourage you because I talk about this in great depth. But anyway... I talked about how God made a way for those who are lost to understand Him in a special way so that they could be saved because they are born not understanding Him spiritually and are all born lost and not saved. On this idea, I just want to quote one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible. One that God gave me in a desperate time. I was debating with a Calvinist who believed that Jesus Christ's death only atoned for some people's sins, some that they call the elect. And as he was telling me, well, Jesus Christ's death only atoned for some people's salvation, only you know, atoned for some people's sins. Well, that would mean that God then purposely made people for hell. And I don't read that in the scripture. I don't read that God purposely made people for hell. So this is what God spoke to me in that desperate time when I was listening to that doctrine of heresy. Luke nine fifty six. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. What does that mean? It means that God didn't make anybody for hell. For when he sent Christ, Christ came to save people's lives. And he wasn't just talking about people's fleshly lives, because those can't be saved. We're all going to die. He was talking about Jesus Christ came. Jesus was saying he came to save men's spiritual lives. And if Jesus didn't come to destroy men's eternal lives, that means God didn't make people literally for hell. People make a choice to go to hell. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Another very special one to me, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. Saving mankind from sin and what it brought mankind, which is eternal death and hell, is the main reason why Jesus Christ came to earth and laid down his lives for our sins. To save those that were lost, which is everybody and he came to save everyone. I read a quote a long time ago, some time ago, I should say, and I thought it was right on the money and it definitely applies to what I spoke on last week and this week's overview. It went a little bit like this. I just alluded to it a little bit ago, actually. People aren't lost because God is not giving them an opportunity to be saved. People are lost because they love their sin more than they love God. And it's based off of the Gospel of John, verse, or chapter 3, verse 19, uh, where Jesus said this, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So yes, God is giving everyone a chance to be saved, but nobody, not very many people take that chance because they love their sin more than they love the salvation of God. Again, Praise God for his loving kindness and his salvation, even to the most lost of the lost of the lost. All right. Well, praise God. Let's get in, switch gears and get into our new sermon, shall we? The title of our new sermon today, very appropriate for the section, God is love. Title of the new sermon, God is love you want to read along with me first John chapter 4 verses 7 through 11 and then I'll teach on it I would you know that'd be great if you want to listen along whatever you want to do verse 7 says this John writes Beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God He who does not love does not know God for God is love. That's our title of our sermon. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So last week, John gave us the sad fact or trait, you could say, of lost people or not saved people, that they cannot understand the spiritual things of God because they're born in the flesh and they're not born of God's Holy Spirit. Again, not including if they respond to the drawing of Christ and they begin to seek God, then he will help them understand God's word to the saving of their souls per the Bible and per what Jesus Christ said. In this section, John tells us again of the defining trait or characteristic of all saved people. Verse 7 just said this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He comes right back to this week, what should be the domineering or defining trait or truth of those who belong to God, those who are being saved. It's Those who are being saved should love. For as he puts it here, love is of God. And as I've spoken on before, the Bible talks about how God, when somebody gets saved, comes and lives inside of them. And once God lives inside of you, since God is love... He's going to be in you, but he's going to be coming out of you, too. His his characteristics now, the defining trait of God, which is love, should be coming out of you, too. Now, God has many traits of himself. He, He has wrath. He has compassion. He has love. He has judgment. He has justice. But God is love, which is what John says here, is the defining trait of who God is. And you see God is love all the way through the whole Bible. Even though we see God's wrath in the Old Testament, God was still a loving God for he gave mercy and he gave grace to people that just didn't deserve it. And this is what he still does to this day. So God is love. How many times uh, has John repeated himself in telling his readers of this domineering trait of a real Christian and of God? In this epistle alone, including today, including what we're reading today, six. He said the same thing, almost the same thing, six times in just not even a full four chapters of this epistle. I will spare you reading them to you, but for reference, in case you want to look them up, they are, and you can if you want, it's amazing. 1 John 2.5, 3.10, 3.11, 3.14, and 3.23, and today. They, those are the same things John referenced That if you're a child of God, love needs to be how, or love will be how we recognize a true child of God is that they will be loving. They will love like God loves. I'd say that Jesus Christ is pretty serious about what place real love is supposed to have in his followers' hearts, huh? Now, in case you haven't realized it, John writes this epistle almost like a seesaw. How do I mean? He goes back and forth, up and down like a seesaw, and back and forth like a game of tennis and badminton or table tennis, telling his readers of the characteristics of those who are saved, one side, and then the characteristics of those who are not saved. Just like a seesaw, he goes back and forth. And in this seesaw, remember I told you a couple weeks back about this epistle was like a thermometer because in it, John gives people a gauge where, where they, you know, of where they're at with Christ, whether they're with Christ or in Christ or not in Christ. And he uses the seesaw type of message, this Tennis game message, in a sense, to relay this message to us. Hey, this is what the child of God is like. This is what the lost people are like. This is a trait of the child of God. This is a trait of the child of the devil. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. In case you didn't see it, our first verse says, so the person who loves God, verse 7, is of God. The one who loves is of God, right? Because God is love. Well, verse 8, he who does not love God, or excuse me, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Those who love are of God. Those who don't love are not of God. Those who love of God, those who are not of God. It's a seesaw. It's, It's a back and forth, complete, complete thing. I hope you see it. Now, I don't want you to be confused about John's message here. I don't want you to think he's saying that salvation can be earned by loving others, right? For salvation can't be earned by good works, it only comes by God's grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Paul writes about this salvation and grace and works and what place they have and so on and so forth all throughout the whole New Testament where he writes this, but especially in Romans eleven six 6, where he says this, among other places. He says, and if by grace, meaning salvation, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is is no longer work, okay? Think about that. If I could do anything, if I could love you, or I could run to the mountains, or I could drive my car a million miles, or I spin around three times and jump up in a circle, if I could do anything to earn my salvation, then what purpose did Christ, why did Christ ever have to come to the cross? When I was a street warrior for Jesus, because I used to be, and maybe the Lord will bring it back to me now, but this is what he's got me doing now. And I was witnessing to the loss on the concrete for Jesus. One question I, always, or I often ask people was right from Scripture. Matthew 7, 21. It comes from here, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so I would ask the people, because the question's there, verse 21. So what what if Jesus said there, what is God's will, right? I would ask them, what is God's will? Because Jesus just said that only those who do God's will will go to heaven, which makes this verse for his salvation, his will for his salvation, not his will of the duty of a Christian. There's a difference. Jesus gives lots of God. God and Jesus gave lots of duties for Christians to do, but that would be somebody that's already saved, Right, Love is supposed to be something that comes out of us and we are commanded to love. We're commanded to take the gospel throughout the whole world. But these aren't things that God tells Christians to do so that they can be saved. These are things that God tells us to do because we are saved in this, you know, kind of like when you get hired for a job. And you get hired for a job and your responsibility is to, you know, to cook the burgers on the grill. Well, you get a job. You didn't, You couldn't cook the burgers on the grill before you got the job, but you got the job and now you're supposed to cook the burgers, right? So this is kind of like being a Christian. So God has a will for Christians to do things after they're saved. But then God also has a will for people that are unsaved. And that's not to work for their salvation. That's to do something, right, to be saved. But it's not a work. So I had many people that would tell me when I asked them, what's God's will for people to get saved, that they would tell me that it's God's will that we love. Well, God said love and he said love. And I said, well, that, that, but that's a work. How can you love to be saved when the Bible says that you can't earn your salvation? And as I said earlier, if I can love others and earn my salvation that way, then why did Christ need to go to the cross and die for the sins of mankind? He wouldn't have, right? He absolutely wouldn't have. Working for salvation makes his death and resurrection worthless. And I wouldn't want to approach God with that belief because our salvation costs God the death of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son on the cross. No, Here, John is not telling people or his readers or us that we or they or anybody can earn their salvation by good work, by the good work of loving others. He's just repeating the defining characteristic of a truly saved person and what should be coming out, you could say, what should be coming out of a truly saved person, which is love, because for God is love. On the subject of God being love, which is also another one of John's main themes in this epistle, look at the first part of verse 9. Don't read it all. Look at the first part of verse 9. Read along with me and I'll tell you when to stop. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world. John moves away from the seesaw of writing about the characteristics of the saved and unsaved and writes about the amazing love of God for... God is love. You're going to hear that all day today because God is love, and I just love saying that. And that's the title of our message. So, God's great love was manifest. Or, what's another word for manifest? Or words would be revealed or shown. So, God's great love was shown humanity, shown mankind, shown us by the sending of Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, into the world. So, How God showed us he loved us is by sending Jesus to the earth to die for our sins. God just didn't say, I love you, my son, and then sat on his heavenly throne and just kind of sat back and, all right, do your best. He said, I love you. And what did he do? He proved his love for us in a concrete way by sending Jesus Christ to earth to die for our sins. God saw mankind wallowing hopelessly and helplessly in sin and saw that humanity had completely lost its direction to God. And really, everybody on the planet was doomed, really, at that time. And he decided at that time to have compassion because he is compassionate. And he decided to show his love and compassion for us by literally, not figuratively, sending Jesus Christ to earth and showing us a put-your-money-where-your-mouth-is love to prove his love for us. The God of all the earth, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, this only begotten Son of God, is an interactive God. What does that mean? An interactive God isn't just a God that just sits back and does nothing. He's not just a God that just looks upon and just, oh, that's that's nice. He moves. He interacts with us. He interacted us with then, interacted with us then, and he's interacting with us now because he's an interactive God. He moves in our time, in our space, in our energy. He's eternal, yet he moves inside our time as well too. He's an interactive God. A popular thought of the creator by many people today is that God just sits enthroned above all the earth and watches humanity just the same way as we might watch TV. Just oh 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 oh, oh. and this really doesn't do anything to interact or involve himself in humanity at all. And that's crazy because that's not the God that the Apostle John, or the disciple John, is describing here in this epistle. And John walked with Jesus, so John knew what God was like. John felt and touched and heard and and. Looked upon and ate with the real creator of all the universe, and he said he's an interactive God. Now, did God just prove his love to us as just some nice gesture? As just some, you know, nice mental idea that people would have of this interactive God? No, absolutely not. The rest of verse 9, John says that we, that he did this, that he did what he did, that we might live through him. What does that mean? He did this hoping we people would respond to his love by literally turning to Christ to first be saved. Literally, not just a good idea, but literally turning our hearts to the Lord and then living through him by faith and obedience, trusting fully in the Lord, walking with him as we would walk with a spouse or we would walk with a, a close friend, a blood brother, as me and my son were even talking about the other night or just last night. Too many people today have completely misunderstood this concept. They think that being saved is just professing a real nice belief in Jesus, but then living out whatever type of life they decide to live. But that's not at all what God expects of people after they are saved. God expects those whom he redeems to love him back and to love him back with a Put your money where your mouth is, love, living through Christ Jesus in total faith and being obedient to his teachings and striving to live a holy life to God. Again, not because we want to be saved, but because we are saved and we're so thankful for what God did for us. If you are a true Christian today, I really hope that you're not a lazy one in how you love and obey God. He saved you for good works. He didn't say get saved by good works, but he said, I save you, but now I have good works for you, Christian. And one of those good works is to love him and obey him and serve him with all your heart and your mind and your soul. He certainly d- didn't save us or doesn't save us to this day so that we'll take his love for granted and be lazy. Look what Paul writes in Romans 12:1 1 about how we should look upon how we should think upon now what Christ did for us and how we should respond to that. Romans 12:1. In this is love. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I got to back up. I'm sorry. Romans 12:1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So because God loved you, Because God poured out his life on the cross for you, then you ought to see that and be so thankful for that that you say, man, Lord, I want to serve you. Let me serve you. And then you go to his word. How do I serve you, Lord? And then you serve him exactly the way he said that you ought to serve him. And that, Paul said, should be your reasonable service. That's how you should look at it. Not look at it like, oh, I got to do this to get a better spot in heaven. Oh, I got to do this to get more reward in heaven. or oh, I got to do these things to be saved. No, you are saved. Man, I'm really thankful for what Jesus Christ did for me. My reasonable service, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to worship him. He's, I'm, I'm going to make him my life. That's what God expects from those that are saved. And considering the one big reason God proved his love for mankind, Christians should especially love him back. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God, because he is love, as we have already been saying over and over, sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, into the world to show and prove his love for us, to be that interactive God. But he also did it because Jesus needed to become a propitiation for our sins. What is a propitiation? What is it? Simple understanding, the simplest that there is, a payment. So John just said that here that God sent Jesus Christ to be a payment for our sins. Why do people need Jesus Christ? Why did we need a payment or why do we still need a payment for our sins? Because the Bible says that we're sinners, and all sinners, sin is, makes people unholy in God's eyes. And because of sin, sin cuts people off from God. And this means that in this state, as in a state of a sinner and not a redeemed person, God will not accept a person. And, he won't, and if he won't accept us, that means that we, he, we won't be able to stay in heaven. You see, everybody gets to go to heaven Whoa, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, you just said everybody goes up. Yes, everybody will go and stand in heaven. But you understand, not everybody will stay. Everybody gets to go, but not everybody will get to stay. Everybody will go to stand before judgment, before God. But if judged a sinner, not covered by the blood of Christ, not that they had with, with those who did not have Christ Jesus as their propitiation, as their payment for their sin. God will judge them guilty. God will judge them a sinner, and they will be cast away forever. But mind you, every person that's ever lived will go to heaven, but not all will stay. Paul writes about this being separated from God by our sins. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 121 says this, he says this, and you, speaking to Christians now, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So these Christians who were at one time not Christians, as those may be listening to me, you maybe had a, well, you definitely, if you're a Christian now, you had a day when you weren't saved. You were, as I was at one point, alienated and an enemy to God because of my sin, because of the life I lived, because of the rebellious life I lived against God. We were, and a lot of people are today, alienated from God and enemies to God because of their sin. But... Paul finishes with the result of someone who has taken Jesus Christ as their propitiation and their payment of sin. Colossians, the end of 21 and 22. Yet now, he says, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So because of Christ, because these people ran to Christ for their refuge, because I have run to Christ for my refuge, if I were to die right now, I stand before God. He judges me pure and holy before him because Christ's death covers my sins and paid for my sins. That's what he did on the cross. Paul writes about what Jesus Christ's payment of sins did in Hebrews also. Hebrews 10.10. He says this, by that will, God's will, we have been sanctified. That means set apart. That means saved eternally through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So his death and sacrifice was a payment for sins from the time that he did it till today, till the time he comes back. There's no more need for sacrifices for sins. His sacrifice for sin was enough. To the end of time, to the end of Christ coming back, his sacrifice was enough. And we've been sanctified, saved, set apart eternally because of what he did. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, his offering, sacrifice on the cross, he has perfected or saved forever, that means for eternity, those who are being sanctified those who continue to run the race, those who continue to run to Jesus Christ as their refuge, his sacrifice continues to cover them until they die or until Jesus Christ comes back. But without the sacrifice of Christ, God's propitiation for our sins, all mankind would be cut off or alienated apart from God, separated from God with no hope of getting to heaven and to be with God forever. What great love that God has poured out Upon all mankind, amen? Praise be to God. So verse 9 talks about how God expects those who he redeems to love him back with real concrete love. Because of this great love he has shown us. Look at verse 11, our last verse for today. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So not only does God expect to be loved back with real concrete love by those whom are his or those whom are being saved, but because of his great love he showed us in sending Christ to be our payment for our sins, he also expects his kids. Those who are redeemed to show and to have real concrete love, the love that he has for us, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And really, as you read the whole Bible, God wants Christians to love everybody. For God is love and God doesn't hate anybody. People can be really hard to love and even real Christians because we, we have our faults and lots of them and we have our flaws. Even, especially when we have our, differencing, you know, our differences on scripture and spirituality, you know, in God and the Bible, you know, everybody's human and nobody's got, got down completely. Nobody understands all the things of God. And when we start debating, you know, our faith and what we believe the Bible says about this or that and the other thing, we can be really hard to love. But according to what John wrote here and even what Jesus commanded in the Gospel of John, Chapter 13, verse 34, where he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and the world in the example of how I loved you, which is a concrete, sacrificial, real love, not just a love by word. So those who are saved are supposed to love others like God in Christ showed his love for us. God is serious about Christians being love. Because as I said all sermon long, he is love. Are you born again and saved and a real Christian today? But you've been having trouble being loving toward others in your life. And I mean the real sacrificial love that God expects you to have. Have you been having trouble loving others the way Jesus Christ loved you. Not just a word of love, but a real life, real hard, concrete, sacrificial love. You mean you know what I mean. It's there within you. You know it's there, right? But you've just been having a real trouble loving like Jesus did. Well, I know how you feel. The rest of my time, I've got to talk to you about my week and my week and a half. At my job, they've given me some extra responsibilities. Then those responsibilities are above my normal responsibilities. The responsibilities that belong to someone else, but that person's not doing their job. So instead of getting someone else to replace this fellow who's not doing his job, they pushed his work off on me, and I haven't been real happy about it at all. I am doing the work of two people, and it's outside work. It's not inside. It's not like it's AC. It's not like it's sitting down. It's outside work, and I live in Texas, and it's been hot lately. And I've been working, enslaving in the direct sun, doing two people's jobs, and it's been sweltering hot, and I'm sunburned, and it's been real stressful on me. It's been real hard on me for about a week and a half now. I've really been having a problem. And so because of this, I've had a terrible spirit of complaining and anger. And worst of all, I haven't been very loving a lot and better known as really flat out hatred. I have been harboring flat out hatred in my heart because of all this. Hatred toward customers, hatred toward this lazy fella, co-worker, and just an overall spirit of misery and anger and resentment. And this last Friday was probably the worst of all, since I volunteered. I I don't know why I did, but I volunteered to work a little extra because I could, because the company needed me to, and nobody even asked me, but I just did it. And I did it during all the time of doing all these new responsibilities that I really was hating and I was really having this bad spirit about. And yet, all this, and me telling you all this, and about how I've been hating and and having all this resentment and anger in my heart at my job, and here I am preaching a sermon on verse 7, Love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. All right. It's easy to say. And verse 8, he who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. And on top of that, me knowing God's word that I had to even speak this Sunday because I had already studied this word just a whole week. And I already knew this. And I already read the scripture over, knew what God's word says. And here I am doing exactly what Paul or John said, hey, those who don't love are not of God. So what a terrible week and about a half it's been for me. So of course, the whole time, knowing these words that I preached to you today, I was wondering myself in my own contemplations, in my own mind, am I really born again? Am I really saved? Because you know what? I've got no love right now. I'm full of hatred. So yesterday, uh, I should say Friday, Now it's Sunday, in the midst of all these feelings and hatred and anger that I had in me at work, I sat down and God was speaking to me, as he was the whole time I'm going through this, and he was telling me that I needed to stop, and I needed to surrender all of this stuff to him and just relax and let his spirit of servanthood and his spirit of love take over. And so at that time on Friday, during a really tough time, I did that. I repented, and I said, you know, Lord, I give it to you, and boy, I'll tell you, I felt so refreshed. I felt like a new man again. But then there was another employee outside of the other guy that I asked for help from because I had had this extra burden, and the time I had volunteered to stay, I wasn't going to get all the stuff done that I expected to get done. I was going to come up short, and I wanted to finish this job, and, and even though I was hating it, I still wanted to, you know, be a servant at least even though I wasn't being a loving servant I still wanted to be a servant and so I asked this other employee for some help this guy that I don't work with much and he pretty much laughed and I had this crick in my neck and this pain in my back that I'd slept wrong and I was in a lot of pain and so all this together and guess what happened it all came right back so here I am with all this going on in my life me not being very Christ-like and the way I was handling this situation, and plus this teaching. I just went and sat down wondering again, am I even born again? I've got all this hatred. Am I even born again? Gosh, Lord, God, help me. And as I sat there, the Lord spake to me clearly and told me very clearly, I am His. Hey, Ed, you're mine. And the proof that He showed me was that I was loving in a lot of other situations in my life. Not just that one there, but I had lots of love in my heart for other situations in my life. But again, I wasn't being very loving there. But as I was in need, my buddy told me that what I needed was great repentance. Right now, he said, great repentance. Because he told me I was not really following him in his ways. And I was going through all these new responsibilities that I was given, but I wasn't doing it in him. And so there's where I was. All of this this is hard for me to admit, but I, I really give all my humanly effort to living a godly life in Christ Jesus. As the Bible says, that I so do. And those who know me, those who love me, they can attest to that. But I have to admit all these things to you because, number one, God told me to do this. God told me to tell you all this. Normally I don't tell you all these things like this, Sometimes I have struggles like this and I don't always talk about them, but this time God told me to do it. And he showed me how it fit into the close of the sermon and how it fit into the sermon as a whole. Plus I'm supposed to do it because, and I know that's God's voice telling me to do it because James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses or your sin to one another. And this was sin for me. And pray for one another that you may... Be healed. So pray for me that God would continue to heal me because I need to be prayed for in this situation. I've given it to the Lord, and it's his now. I just don't want to go back. And I believe God told me to do this because there's someone out there that's having a similar struggle to mine is that what I had. And he's, he or she is losing the battle of love as I was losing the battle of love. So what did I do? Well, I realized my error. I realized, <laughs> God, I'm wrong. Holy Kamoli, I'm wrong. And I'm, my gosh, according to your word, wow, I'm not even walking with you right now. And, and, I, and I, so I, I felt terrible because I not only had all this anger and hatred in me, but I was also not being a good witness for Christ. And there's those whom the Lord had given me to, to, to preach to and to talk to about him, and not just by my words, but by my actions too. Hadn't been doing a real good job of doing that the past week and a half or so. So what did I do? I repented and I surrendered it all to Christ. And I have decided to do the work that I have been given with gladness and joy in my heart in Christ because that's what Jesus Christ would do. And because I am blessed to even have a job, and a wonderful family that surrounds me in an awesome church where I can speak God's true word without being fired, because that's how most churches do it, in case you didn't know. The pastor works for the congregation in most churches, most all churches, and if the pastor says something that the congregation doesn't like, even though it may be what the Bible teaches, well, they fire him. Because, Bob, oh, by golly, he can't say that. We're not going to stand for that. But not me. I work for Jesus Christ and not for people. So I can't be fired by mankind. I can't be fired by people, just by God. But here I am serving God the way he wants me to. And so I still have my job. But anyway, I repented. And I decided to have joy and gladness in my heart and to choose to do it God's way and not choose to do it my way. But anyway, that's enough about me. I told you my error and the sin that so easily ensnared me and the way that I handled it, which was wrong in the the beginning. And I told you the way I handled it, which was right. I surrendered it to Christ and the way he would have me to do it and, and, and stopped doing it my way. But now, what about you? Whoever you are that's listening to me, that God told me to say all this for, God wants you to know something today. Whoever loves is born of God, for God is love. And that is not, just not the nice word again. It's not the nice word love. It's about verse 11, love. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another the way he loved us, the example by what he showed us. We know that his love is supposed to be concrete for others and not superficial, and not by word, by 1 John 3, 16. Just a little bit ago, I taught that. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Not just love in word, love in concreteness, because God is love. So whoever you are, if you haven't been loving like Jesus Christ loved, and gave himself for us, then you are not loving like him. And the Bible says that's a sin, just as I was just in sin. And just like me, in the situation I was in, you are also in need of serious repentance and surrendering everything unto God. And you're in need of doing that right now. The way you've been loving is not the way you so learned Christ. He has called you, if you are truly his, to love, for he is love. But there's another reason, even for me. Although I have been saved, and you may have been saved, a born-again person, and we're that right now. If we continue in the sin of not being loving, and not being loving is just a nicer way to say that we've been hating, as I was, because this is a sin, Then if you continue in the practice of this sin, you will be trampling on the grace of Christ and his sacrifice and cut yourself off from God, same as you did before you knew him. So, my beloved, I will close to you as John opened up this section, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And that means that when you're saved, God put his love in your heart and now expects you to deny the evil heart and the ways that come so naturally to your, yourself. So putting down your selfish and evil ways and deciding to love others the way God and Christ love them. And you are to practice God's way of love and not your own way of natural hatred. Turn now, Christian, please. Surrender everything and repent before you live one more moment in your flesh of unlove. And love for God is love. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all this word, Lord. Thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for your your spoken word to me, Lord, and how you were handling me and, and how you dealt with me this last week and a half or so. And And I just thank you, Lord God, that that surrender was my option and my choice, Lord God, not anything else, Lord, because that's where we need to be, completely surrendered unto you every day, all day long, no matter what. So I pray, Lord God, that my decision to continue to follow you and to decide not to do the things the way I've been doing them, Lord, would stick. And, Lord God, I pray that people out there would pray for me, Lord, because I confessed my sin and they can pray for me now and I can be healed as you've already started my healing. But I pray, Lord God, right now out there for whoever's listening to me that hasn't been loving like you want them to love, hasn't been loving with concreteness, hasn't been loving with action and sacrificial love, I pray, Lord God, that they will come to repentance and they would love and show their love in an action way and in a concrete way, Lord, and in a real way instead of just by word. Please, dear God, Help those that are listening, whoever it is that you spoke this end of this sermon for, Lord. Help them to come to repentance, Lord, and heal them too. May they make a decision today, Lord, to continue in your way or to stop their own way and to start back in your way. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.